Hi, this is Charles Maxwood, and I've been asked more times than I can count, how do I stay current? There's a lot to this question, and I'm working on a solution, code badges. That's right. You heard me right. Basically, the idea is, is that you come and do a code badge, and that gets you an introduction to a topic. Then you can decide if you want to pursue it further. But while working on the badge, you gain enough proficiency to be able to pick it up again if you need. A lot of technology comes through on the bleeding edge, and not all of it sticks, but the principles do. So doing badges on the technologies that will get you ahead will provide you with experience needed to stay competitive. Plus, it offers social proof that you know something about the topic. The project is on Kickstarter right now. You can support it and get on the launch list at codebadge.org. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of My Ruby Story. This week, we're talking to Eric Dietrich. Eric, do you want to say hi? Hello. So, yeah, so we had you on episode 296 of the Ruby Rogues podcast, and uh, we talked about the future of work and web development. And it seems like a lot of the stuff that I see from you is kind of along those lines, right? It's the big ideas. Where's the industry going? How do we do this better? All that kind of stuff. I, I, I generally don't see posts from you on, here's how you build another authentication system in whatever language. Yeah, that's um, absolutely fair. Early in my blogging days, I, I did write some posts like that. And uh, it came from a background where I was a polyglot software developer. So you might have found some in Java or C Sharp or, or what have you. Um, but over the course of time, I moved into uh, management roles and then um, left the corporate world to do IT management consulting. So that sort of naturally skewed the type of posts I was going to write to be more big uh, picture focused and, and less in kind of the how-to realm. That makes sense. So if, if I asked you to introduce yourself then, how would you describe yourself to people? Well, these days, I guess, um, so I, I kind of made a transition from a few years ago. I would have said I'm a consultant. Uh, these days I would call myself a business owner. Um, after leaving the IT management consulting life, I've started a couple of businesses that I am a partner in simultaneously. One is uh, content marketing for companies that market to software developers, which is kind of a long way of saying that I have an agency that writes blog posts for tech companies. Um, <laughs> and then another one is a very like specialized uh, code base assessment practice uh, that grew out of my IT management consulting. So that's a lot of information. So the elevator pitch typically is um, I'm a business owner. Nice. <laughs> I like it. So yeah, this interview is sort of to capture your story, though, and, and walk people through how you got to where you're at. And and also just to kind of give people an idea of who we are getting on the shows to talk about this stuff. So let's go back to the beginning of your career, or even further back for some people. How did you get into programming? That sort of happened in fits and starts throughout my childhood. I think the earliest, and this is pretty early, um, was in the 80s. My dad brought home a IBM PC Junior uh, when most people didn't have anything like that. And we um, would work together and make little games. I mean, uh, in actuality, what was happening since I was about seven was he would make the games and, you know, I would point at the screen. But th that introduced me to the concept probably before um, it happened for a lot of people. And then in my educational background growing up, there wasn't really any kind of computer science type uh, courses in school. So I do remember um, kind of banging away at my programmable TI calculators and such. Um, and so I had this interest in computers um, growing up and until I went to college. And that triggered me to, even though I didn't have any, I guess, formal or particularly robust programming background to apply to uh, computer science. So I got introduced to programming 
um, truly in a university computer science program. That makes sense. So were you always interested in computer science then? Is that why you went into computer science in college or did you kind of stumble into that? I would say, because uh, I had to apply to the computer science program at my school, um, I knew I wanted to do that. I think it wasn't so much specifically programming. I was interested in technology. Right. Uh, you know, I read lots of sci-fi books in high school. So topics like AI and robotics were fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I wanted to, you know, do something cutting edge. That makes sense. So once you graduated from college, I mean, where where did you wind up? <laughs> In in a really unfortunate place because I graduated from college in 2001. I actually graduated <laughs> in the winter. And um, so I graduated early and I, I said, I'm going to take what would have been my last semester and travel around the country because um, right. at the time, recruiters and people would show up to my college and just beg uh, computer science students to come work for them because, um, you know, for anyone not putting that timeline together immediately, that was the dot-com bubble. Um, mm-hmm. Then when I started applying to jobs, that was when the bubble had burst. So everybody the year above me in, um, in my college got laid off from their programming positions. Nobody could get jobs. Um, so I wound up taking kind of odd jobs. I worked in retail at a Radio Shack for about a year. And then finally, the market started to shake loose. Um, and mercifully, I landed. It was actually technically a software quality assurance position. So it was like a I think they viewed it as like a trial for me as a programmer, but um, ace the trial, wound up with a software engineer title, and then that was the beginning of a lot of years of uh, various programming positions. Yeah, that makes sense. When I graduated, I wound up doing tech support and then moved into QA. So mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of, a, of course, it was a few years later than that, so the the dot com bubble had kind of come back, or you know, things had come back around, so I could actually find a job. But yeah, that's yeah. interesting. So. So it sounds like you've kind of worked all over the place over the course of your career. And I'm I'm curious, and this is something that I've seen in my own career a little bit. Do you just kind of move to the next thing that looks interesting? Is or Are these kind of deliberate moves or do you just kind of find yourself falling into the next thing? Huh. I, I would say it sort of went full circle. Early in my career, the first job I took, I actually stayed with that company for five or six years, which is, uh-huh. uh, if you were to look at the rest of my LinkedIn profile, extremely unusual. I had a lot of autonomy there. I was happy. I only kind of wound up leaving there because the um, company wasn't doing well. It was in an aging industry, specifically mail sorting. So that's not exactly a Mm -hmm. a growth business, so to speak. Um, And so the next job I took, I just kind of um, backed into that, I suppose. From there, I started to get more career-minded. I had grown tired at times of having to deal with, there's a name I give this sort of personality, I call them expert beginners, but I, I got tired of dealing with people who maybe had a lot of seniority in in their roles and acumen. <laughs> so I started to make a concerted series of career moves in order to get into more of a leadership and authoritative kind of role um, within the organization. Right. And then that wound up with, uh, eventually I kind of progressed into a, a CIO role for a small company. Um, uh-huh. And at, at that point, I discovered I didn't really think that the corporate world was for me, and I staged an exit. And then, strangely enough, everything from there went um, back to being, you know, for better or for worse, a little bit less deliberate. Like I mentioned, running a content marketing agency, that certainly wasn't something I would have predicted five years ago. <laughs> right. That makes sense. So that first programming job, I'm curious, how did you end up there? It was actually 
a company. So networking, I guess, is the the best way to put it. Uh, my mom had worked at this company. She had left, so it wasn't them you know, hiring uh, me to appease her or anything, but right. uh, they knew that she had a son who had just graduated from a computer science program. And so when the market loosened a little bit, they reached out to me, we did an interview. And then actually for anyone out there, you know, frustrated with say job interview processes, this company interviewed me, I want to say it was November and mm -hmm. I just didn't hear from them. So I wrote it off after like three weeks. They finally reached back out and made me a job offer in February. And kind of similar to, to what you had mentioned, I had taken a job doing something that was like tech support. I had been there all of a week. And mm -hmm. what they were offering was, you know, programming. I mean, the role was called uh, software quality assurance, but I, I was right. programming the outset. So I jumped, made the recruiter who placed me in that tech support role extremely unhappy. <laughs> 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 yeah, well, they, they, uh, I'll just bite my tongue. The, I, the recruiters should probably be used to at least some of that is, is kind of the. Yeah. Well, I will say this about the guy. So he, when I did that, I think he knew that I was entry level when he read me this whole riot act about how I was ruining my career and blah, blah, blah. Uh -huh. And then, you know, without even being phased, I don't know, four months later, he started just reach out to me very friendly, you know, Hey, are you interested in looking for new roles? So I think it was a lot of sound and fury to try to get me not to take the job. Yeah. Makes sense. So you, you've kind of done a lot of things throughout your career. I'm, I'm curious if, if you could just explain a little bit about uh, sort of the progression that you've made to get to where you are. Cause I know that Typically, I'm asking people like, how did you get into Ruby and what have you done in Ruby? And I know that's not your primary focus of, the, of your background. So I'd like to just, you know, take people on a little bit of a tour as far as I know that typically at this point in the interview for my Ruby story, I'm asking people about their Ruby background. And I know that's not your primary focus. So I'm curious instead, if, if we could just talk a little bit about how you got into some of the consulting and um, marketing roles that you, you've kind of filled these days? Sure. Let me kind of do a brief, I guess, whistle stop tour of my career. It'll probably in retrospect sound more intentional <laughs> than it actually was at the time. But you can think of the first 10 years of my career, 10-ish years, as being pretty standard for what a corporate software engineer might do. Mm -hmm. um, so at a, across a, a few different companies, I worked my way from software quality engineer to software engineer, and then software engineer three or something and senior software. So anyway, on up to um, architect role. Um, I went and did a brief stop at a company who um, is what I think of as a custom app dev shop, although a lot of people at those sorts of organizations call themselves consulting. It's um, in essence, there was no consulting per se. They were just writing software for companies that weren't their own. Uh, mm -hmm. But that was the first thing that kind of opened my eyes to, I guess, that style of work. Uh, I went from there and I took a, a leadership role at another company um, as a dev manager. And then eventually at that company, I became its uh, CIO. And that was, I guess, the part at which this is going to sound pretty cynical. I guess maybe it is. But I had, I had spent a lot of my career trying to get into a leadership role where I didn't have to have what I perceived as bad decisions forced on me, things of that nature. Right. And at CIO, that's kind of where you would think that you wouldn't need to have that. But, you know, there was an ownership thing going on at that company that was less than ideal. So I kind of became disillusioned. I'd done, you know, a good bit of job hopping. I'd progressed to one of the, you know, highest tech roles you can have within an organization. And I still wasn't super happy. 
So I left, I flipped that, that company to being my first client as a free agent. And without a ton of direction, I just started to do independent consulting. I was making uh, videos for Pluralsight, doing some app dev projects here and there, but I didn't know a ton about what it was I wanted to do. During that time, I happened to sign on as a subcontractor with a company that started to place me in enterprises, coaching software developers, teaching them to do test-driven development, continuous integration, uh, what a lot of enterprises were calling like best practices. Think maybe software craftsmanship movement. Mm -hmm. And there I discovered something interesting. It was cool to go into organizations and have authority. And I enjoyed that coaching work because it was like all of the fun people development stuff about leadership roles, but without any of the HR nonsense and headaches of uh, managing people. While I was doing that, what started to happen is people became aware of the executive background I had running a department. And um, I started to get you know opportunities. People would consult with me about management issues, how to build an org chart. And so from there, it sort of evolved into this IT management and strategy consulting. The more opportunities I had, the more I started to realize that was a good fit and to market myself for it and, and I guess, put the word out. And over the course of all this time, I had the blog that we were talking about briefly that was sort of reflecting whatever I was doing. And it had gained a pretty good following. So I was getting a lot of inbound leads for this type of thing. If I'm writing about management and strategy consulting, I'm getting calls about that. So all of that is kind of pretty predictable. The content marketing agency is a fairly recent development within the last year. And that arose out of the fact that more and more companies would reach out to me and say, hey, I see your posts on DZone or on Reddit or wherever mm -hmm. they go um, when they're syndicated. And would you be willing to write for our shop? So I started to write for pay for dev tools companies. And we just decided to turn that into a business. And then similarly, the code base assessment business that I have grew out of the work, a very specialized form of the work I was doing in IT management consulting. So mm -hmm. you can kind of see where I'm saying some right. of this stuff more recently in my career, I'm just backing into as an opportunity. That makes sense. How, how do you recognize that something is an opportunity to you, that you want to pursue? Because in, in my experience, there are opportunities that are extremely lucrative and there are also opportunities that I really want to pursue. And those aren't always the same things. Uh, let's see. So I, I think I would, if I were going to capture the general approach I have to that, it's kind of a lean, fail, fast toward it, uh, sort of thing. So uh -huh. when I thought maybe um, I would go from just blogging for some you know, beer money to actually making a business of it, the first thing I did was uh, partner with my wife who does editing and graphic design. So that's a fit. Mm -hmm. And then we basically interviewed our clients and had conversations that were more or less along the lines of, if we made this more of a full service offering, would you pay two and a half oh, times as okay. much? Because that's what we're about to do. Had that not worked, I think I would have known that, you know, this probably isn't a growth business, um, but it did work. Uh, so we felt pretty good there that that was an opportunity. Um, maybe more tactically, especially with the blogging, but also with some of the IT management consulting stuff. If you've got an hourly rate or, you know, whatever the case may be, and you quote someone, um, uh, you know, I'll help you for this dollar amount or this hourly amount. Um, if they kind of come back immediately with yes, that's a strong sign that you're probably undervaluing and um, there's probably a strong demand for it. Right. That makes sense. Um, so w what are the things that you've done then that you're most proud of? Um. I, I would say the blog as a whole, probably, um, which is deadtech.com, uh, 
because it's been so core to all of the opportunities I've had beyond the corporate world. Mm -hmm. Without that, not that it would be a bad life, but I'd probably be a CIO now for maybe a slightly larger company. Um, it's a role a lot of people might aspire to. Uh, it wouldn't have been the greatest fit for me. Now I have a location-independent life where I run digital businesses, and I absolutely love it. So I guess I'm proud of dead tech because a lot of, it resonates with a lot of people and because it's you know mm-hmm. uh, presented such good opportunities for me. And then the last time I was on the, the book that I was talking about, Developer Hegemony, um, I'm pretty proud of that because I've gotten some of the highest compliments on that book that I would give um, someone else, which is people write to me and say, I bought a copy of this and then I had a friend that I really thought needed to read it. So I just gave it away and I bought another copy. And so I'm buying copies to give to people because I think, you know, I think of like, for instance, the four hour work week that way, which is, you know, been a very influential book on me. I've given that book to people. So getting a compliment um, like that from someone is, you know, sort of flattering, humbling and uh, something I'm proud of. Awesome. Yeah, I, I definitely get that. It's the same kind of thing with the podcast, except they don't have to buy another copy. (laughs) right they just go listen to this one you know and it's the same kind of thing you know because it 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 influences people makes a difference yeah so yeah so if people want to get that book where do they find it um the easiest uh and you know we could throw a link in the show notes but it's my site deadtech.com slash book um Mm -hmm. try to create a nice easy that's easy yeah and so from there it'll take you to amazon it's also available on lean pub because uh sometimes people want it in uh, other formats and not through Amazon. Mm-hmm. Very cool. What are you working on now? I am putting most of my effort into this content marketing agency at the moment. It's called Hit Subscribe. The goal there is to kind of build that into a, a steady state. We're doing some hiring. And once I do that, it'll give me a little more time to focus on my code base assessment practice, which is a, a pretty fun thing, at least for me. There's a lot of like deep, I guess, theory about object-oriented um, code. And basically what the assessment practice grew out of was I would be talking in enterprises to a CIO or somebody at the director level or what have you. And they would say, we've got this application. We've spent a lot of money on it. Um, It's not getting to market quickly enough. Uh, It's got problems, et cetera. Uh, What do you think we should do? You know, should we retire it? Should we evolve it, blow it up and start over? Um, Mm -hmm. I get asked questions like that and consultants do a lot. And I think in the app dev space, what a lot of um, consultants will do is just kind of go in and take a look at the code and offer what's called an expert opinion. And I started to take almost a Freakonomics approach to this and say, well, I can use static analyzers to actually pull a bunch of data about this code base and make a more concrete recommendation. Like for instance, if you have, um, and this is an actual example, their client had a desktop application that they wanted to evolve um, to be a web application. And the question was kind of, can we do that or would it make more sense to start over? So uh, I threw some data in there, in essence, like how many of the different like classes and methods percentage-wise of this code base uh, take a direct dependency on the desktop technologies. And for that client, it was something like 80 to 90%. So that gives you a strong recommendation to say, look, you could evolve this, but you're better off starting over because, you know, you're going to basically rewrite it anyway. Um, And so we're taking that, uh, I have a partner, we're taking that ability to kind of gather data about code bases and we're looking to bring it to the mergers and acquisition space. So if a bank is acquiring another bank and the acquired bank has a bunch of custom software, what is that software like and how much of a risk is that for the acquiring party? 
Mm-hmm. So it's kind of an interesting mix of like enterprisey business stuff and then like really heavily shop talk static code analysis, which is kind of an interesting combination. Yeah, that makes sense. It also seems like it's a fairly systematic approach. And so it's not just, oh, well, I kind of poked around the code, you know, and maybe the the ugly parts are hidden somewhere off to the side. <laughs> you know, you, you can run these tools and you can figure out, you know, where the trouble problem or where the problem areas are. And then you can go and apply your expertise to that and say, you know what, this, yeah, this, this right here is going to be a nightmare to maintain. Yeah, actually, absolutely. Because if you're talking about some of the code bases uh, sized up or, you know, five, 10 million lines. Yeah. And and what people do with expert opinions is almost randomly go in and look at code. Nobody's going to be able to do that. So you're you're exactly right. Um, Using the tools as kind of a to send some like tracer bullets, if you will, like where should I actually go and look um, for a more in-depth take on things? Yep, absolutely. Well, that's really cool. Is there anything else that we should talk about that uh, you want to bring up? I know that you're a panelist on the Freelancer Show, Mm -hmm. which is also on this network, so people can go check that out. Um, I think it's devchat.tv slash freelancers. And if it's not, I will make it so that goes to the right place. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, no, we sorry. Go ahead. Episode three hundred together, so that was fun. Yeah, that's. Um, it, it seemed like uh, maybe a good fit with all the independent consulting I'd been mm-hmm. doing over the years, and then uh, running these businesses. <clears throat> so I guess what I'll say is that in the book I've written that we talked about a little here, um, one of the things I strongly advocate for is for anybody who's working a corporate software job to at least give some thought to kind of going independent to being a consultant. Um, Admittedly, that's not for everyone, but I think the barriers to entry for that are really coming down and you stand to be able to make both more money and and have, you know, some more lifestyle design kind of aspects to your life if you pursue that route. So a lot of what I'm doing, um, the content marketing agency gives developers the ability to side hustle by, you know, writing blog posts and gaining Mm -hmm. authority. Uh, The book I've written being on that show is kind of, um, you know, all facets of, of my belief in that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, when I started that show, I had just gone freelance six months earlier. And uh, so it was basically me getting advice from more experienced folks. And it's, mm-hmm. it's turned into something else. But that something else is these really, really highly experienced people giving terrific advice for people who are either looking to get into freelancing or are in freelancing. And uh, I, I've really enjoyed a lot of the things that are there. And just to pile on the other point that you're making, when I went freelance... It was funny. My wife was freaking out. She just, you know, it's like, how are we going to? And I'm like, look, we can't make the mortgage. I will go get a job. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we had a pile of money because I got a severance and I had just gotten a bonus at the job that laid me off. So um, anyway, uh, check that against even a year later, I was so much happier on my own that we, we had a little bit of a slowdown, I think a year or two after I went freelance. And I looked at my wife and I said, I told you I'd go get a job if, you know, if it looked like we were going to have any trouble getting our mortgage. And she looked at me and said, don't you dare. (laughs) Even, even though, right, we're we're looking at, I I don't know if we're going to make the mortgage next month. It was don't you dare because I was so much happier. (laughs) And that that's what she cared about. So yeah, and yeah, it's not for everybody. But it's definitely something that I think people write off in, in cases where they would be much happier. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is that kind of like wily e. coyote, you know, 
out off the cliff moment you have. I think probably yeah. everybody that goes off on their own does, but it seems like through a lot of people I talk to, I mean, I guess it could just be survivorship bias, but um, I think a disproportionate number of people kind of survive that feeling and, and, and it goes, you know, maybe better than they expected. And then there's the, like you're saying, just the, the change in lifestyle that, that adds to your happiness gives you a lot more. I think there's a lot more, at least for me, um, kind of tickling of the mastery autonomy purpose, uh, yeah. you know, feeling that you're building your own empire instead of somebody else's, so to speak. Yeah, there's some of that. The other thing is, is that I can choose what I want to work on, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I find that the freer I am to make my own decisions, generally the happier I am. And then that's what pays off for me. I mean, yes, it, it's nice to see, oh, I built this and it's paying for me. But, you know, for me, it's mostly just the freedom that I get from it. So, and, and I kind of had to learn that by doing it. That is a lovely feeling. I like that too. I think of, you know, one of the things that I'd kind of touched on at times that um, in my career, I, I had a hard time when I was kind of being told to do things by more senior people that I just didn't see the value in. Now with a book of business and a wide set of like clients and what have you, if that happens, I just have the option to say, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. Probably not the person to work with you. Uh, And that is really like psychically empowering. I think it's, it makes life a lot happier. Yep, absolutely. But uh, yeah. And it, I I also think that the further we get down this road, yeah, the easier it's going to be for people to get out on their own. And I think more and more companies are going to be willing to bring people in from outside. Some companies that, you know, if they can't hire you full time, they won't. And I think that's going to have to change in the future, too, because the world is changing in ways that make people so much more autonomous that, you know, we're even seeing companies that you never thought would allow people to even work from home mm-hmm. to allow that because they they can't help. You know, they they're trying to hire these people and they can't find people. And so they have to loosen up for that. And I think the demand for software is going to go up. You know, we, we see people basically saying, well, you know, AI eventually will replace, you know, a certain segment of programming. And that's possible. But then people have to maintain those bots and things like that. So uh, honestly, you know, for the foreseeable future, I think that that world is just going to have to open up. And so, yeah, so look at it and, and at least understand it. Yeah, I'd say, I mean, that's spot on. Um, I get into some trend prediction in in my book. And I think what you're saying is absolutely true and kind of reinforced by my own experience in the enterprise. A lot of times, uh, one of the things I've been called in to help with is, hey, we are not really able to find um, good software development help. And you would look at this in the enterprise and it was kind of amazing. They'd say, I, you know, I don't understand why we can't find good software developers. Now we do have these restrictions. You have to come to work in polo and khakis and work these hours and fill out these forms and <laughs> on and on. And um, one of the things those enterprises really struggle with is it's not, you know, the way if it were like a 50 person company, you could just remove those restrictions in the enterprise. If you have software developers, you know, making X thousand dollars a year, to change their salary, you have to change the salary of eight layers of management above them. So those managers are all making more. It's yeah. They get kind of stuck. And so going to people working in the gig economy 
winds up often being a pretty logical play for those enterprises because they don't lack for money. They just have all sorts of rules. So they can turn around and, you know, maybe they'd only have a budget for 65K a year or something for a decent, um, decently seasoned software developer. But as a contractor, they could pay that same person twice as much because it's coming from a different pool of money. So absolutely, I think there's uh, yep. a lot of that now and more of it coming. Yep, Absolutely. So I guess one other question I have for you then, you know, with all of the experience that you have and all the people that you've talked to, for people who are coming into the software industry as a whole, you know, either through boot camps or they're graduating with CS degrees or they're out there being self-taught with something like Free Code Camp, what do you advise those people, you know, looking forward to where the industry is going? You know, what, what should they be doing to A, in the short term, get a job and B, be prepared for where the industry is going to head long term? So at the entry level, it, it can be tough to get jobs. And that's, in my experience, not kind of a hallmark usually of competent programmers after the entry level. Um, to get a job in the entry level, um, one of the things I'd advocate for, I guess, is kind of hustling. Like, um, if, if you're struggling with that, you know, start contributing to an open source project or... Um, you know, maybe start a blog and write about code, just get some kind of social proof out there in the world that maybe differentiates you a little bit um, from everybody else. Companies are really looking to see, um, you know, do I have the faintest indication that you're going to be able to do this? If you've got a little app you've built or something that you can show them, that's going to be a strong signal. The piece of advice that I'd offer for software developers, you know, who have, say, bridged that gap and are starting to work is, and I say this from a place of having made this mistake myself, and it's really tempting, but I wouldn't get overly infatuated with the technologies that you're working with. So there can be a temptation to say, well, I really want to get into this new um, functional programming language or this new stack or whatever. Keep in mind that those are going to be the tools with which you solve problems. They're not ends to themselves. Your career will be a lot better if you start to kind of position yourself as an expert in a way um, that is perceivable outside the software development team. So mm -hmm. if, you know, project managers and uh, IT leadership and other people can perceive that you have a differentiator in your back pocket, some way that you're standing out from your peers and not just by being, quote, better than them, your career will probably advance a lot more quickly. Yep, I, I completely agree. I'm I'm uh, getting ready to publish a course and a book on this. Mm. Uh, yeah, you know uh, that just those ideas are definitely things that I push people toward. And yeah, generally, so people who are coming in that haven't gotten their first job, yeah, it's all about hustle. And I, you know, I give them specific strategies to go and just get out there and get noticed and meet the right people and build the relationships. Um, and then for people who are in, you know, yeah, it's it's look, you know what they probably get dozens and dozens of applications if you're going to move jobs or want to move up you know they can find people who can write code it's all the other stuff you know where you can actually contribute to the bottom line of the company that makes the difference so if you can make them more efficient you can automate stuff yeah yeah absolutely anyway well before we wrap up do you want to just let us know where we can find you online Sure. I'd say the easiest jumping off point for everything that I'm doing is the site I've had for years and years, which is deadtech.com. It is not quite spelled like it sounds. It's D-A-E-D, -E uh, then tech. So deadtech.com or daydtech, some people might say. Very cool. And I'm assuming you're on Twitter and stuff as well, right? Yep. Um, that's also easy because it's at deadtech. But on my site, uh, I have a 
a little about me at the top with all my social media okay. and stuff. Sounds good. That's an easy way to find it. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll uh, let's go ahead and move into picks. Do you have some things you want to shout out about? Is your job search stuck? Maybe you're not getting any interviews with employers, or maybe you are, but no job offers. Or you may be new and not even know where to start. This is Charles Maxwood, and I'm releasing a new course and ebook on how to find a job as a software developer. The course walks you through the process of finding the types of companies you want to work for, getting their attention, and putting your best foot forward as the candidate they want. I've coached dozens of developers in looking for jobs and have been able to help several people find jobs within two weeks to two months. So whether you're new to development, can't find a great job that fits what you want, or are looking for remote work from an area without a strong tech community, I can help. Go to getacoderjob.com and sign up today. Sure. Um, I guess in the vein of what I'm talking about here today, um, I had mentioned it in passing, but I'll go ahead and pick the four-hour work week, uh, especially maybe for those earlier on in their corporate careers. There is a lot in that book. Uh, it was one of the more influential things I've ever read. Um, it covers everything from you know diving into remote, remote work, location independence, mm-hmm. how to be more efficient. Um, it's a really interesting read. Um, it's a terrific book. I, I like it too. Yeah. Uh, another one, if, if you kind of like, um, some of the topics of office politics that I've covered, it's, I reference it in my book, um, fairly heavily. There's a blog called ribbon farm. Um, Mm -hmm. and the author of that blog wrote a series of blog posts that he made into a book called the Gervais principle. And it's sort of like a very philosophical look at office politics. It's also pretty cynical. Um, so it can be a really amusing read. (laughs) And I guess I'll do one more, which is, so for my hit subscribe site, the agency that we have, this is particularly relevant to the audience. I guess I'll pick uh, authorship for that agency. If you're, uh, we're taking on some clients that uh, will have Ruby oriented topics. So folks that are interested in uh, a side hustle of writing blog posts, you know, feel free to apply to be an author. Sounds good. And I'm assuming that's at what hitsubscribe.com. Yeah, I can throw a link into the show notes for the specific landing page. Awesome. Yeah, just put it in the Zoom chat and we'll we'll get it. Got it. All right. I'm going to jump in here with a few picks as well. So actually, yeah, <laughs> I've just been dealing with a lot of stuff lately. Um, so the first pick that I have is uh, I've been playing with or I've been using for a while uh, the Apple AirPods. I know it's old news, folks, but I love them. I really like them. They, they fit nicely into my ears and, and I listen to stuff on them all the time. The other pick that I have is... Um, audible.com and I've been listening to a lot of audiobooks and just really enjoying that so I'm going to pick that and finally one of the things that I've been getting into for a while now and I'm starting to really get disciplined about it is ketogenic eating I'm diabetic and so eating fewer carbs just makes a lot of sense and I've really been enjoying that so a few resources I'm going to pick there they're both from the same folks are uh, the ketogenic forums and you can go to ketogenicforums.com and then you can also go check out twoketodudes.com. And if you're familiar with .NET Rocks, Carl Franklin from .NET Rocks is one of the hosts. And his co-host, incidentally, his name is Richard, but it's not Richard Campbell. It's, it's Richard Morris. So anyway, enjoying that. And that's, that's been a lot of fun. And then one last thing that I just want to shout out about is um, if you head over to devchat.tv, I'm going to be updating a bunch of things, including uh, ways that you can support the shows. Um, and it's not just support monetarily, but if you go to the show and you click on suggest a topic, um, there are going to be links in there for that. I'm, I'm kind of 
overhauling a lot of things. And so keep an eye out for that. If you're on the mailing list, you're also going to start getting a few more emails from me about some of the stuff we're doing. So yeah, just keep your your head up for that and uh, be aware that, yeah, some changes are coming. So, all right, Eric. Well, thank you for coming and talking to us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, no problem. All right. Well, we'll wrap this one up and we will catch everyone next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.